Chapter 14 of Small Souls by Louis Couperus. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Those were busy days at the Van Nagels, full of all kinds of excitement. Emily was to be married in three weeks, and in a fortnight Van Nagel and Bertha expected their son Otto back from India with his young wife and their two children. Otto had taken his degree early, married and gone to Java at twenty-four with a billet in the civil service, but he was unable to stay because his wife had fallen ill on the day of their arrival at Batavia, and she had been ill ever since. It annoyed Van Nagel to see his son's career interrupted, even though he was still young, and Van Nagel could easily find him another appointment in Holland. But he had always been against this match, a delicate Dutch girl with no money. They would have to take charge of the children in Holland, and though he was well off, though his wife had some money of her own, though he had his salary as a minister, it was, all told, scarcely enough for the very expensive establishment which they kept up. The eldest son on his way home from India, with his wife and two children, two boys, France and Henry, who had been at Leiden for over two years, and who were obviously in no hurry to take their degrees. Three girls who were all out, the second of whom was now going to be married. Another boy of sixteen, and a girl of fourteen. Their salon, to gratify Van Nagel's ambition, an official salon, a meeting place for members of the higher government circles, while the diplomatic set just passed through it. So expensive an establishment from first to last that Bertha had to work miracles of economy to keep things going on 50,000 guilders more or less a year. And everything was growing dearer. The two boys, France and Henry, cost almost three times as much as Otto had cost. Emily and Marianne, of whom the former had been out three years and the other just one, had much grander ideas in every way than Louise, who had been out six. The boys at Sliden were both to take part in the mask this year. Emily was receiving a trousseau that cost three times as much as the one which Bertha had had in her day from Papa and Mama Van Loer. Marianne must have her simplest dresses lined with silk. Carol, the schoolboy, a tall, thin, weakly lad, but nevertheless a member of all sorts of football, cricket and tennis clubs, had an allowance for pocket money that was positively ridiculous, and Bertha saw tendencies in her youngest girl that made her anxious for the future. And so, outwardly, it was a great house full of movement. Papa a minister, the girls presented at court, the boys spending money lustily, and inwardly there was many a despondent conversation between Van Nagel and Bertha as to how they could possibly economise. Of course, Otto must be helped first. The boys, of course, must take their degrees first. The girls, of course, were bound to go out. And Carol, of course, was obliged to keep up his football and cricket clubs. They might give one dinner less each winter, but that was really the only thing. And, if the boys, after taking their degrees, were to cost as much money as Otto was costing now, if Louise and Marianne also got married and had to have the same trousseau as Emily, if it was to go on like that, always and always, with never a moment for taking breath, 
and saving a little, then they did not know what they were to do, for, let Bertha calculate as much as she pleased, the thing was not to be done on fifty thousand guilders a year. Then, if Van Nachel lost his temper, he reproached Bertha, saying that it was all her fault, that she was a Van Loer, that the Van Loers had never been able to calculate, that the Van Loers' own housekeeping had been run on much too extravagant a scale in the old days. But Bertha, blinking her eyes unmoved, reminded him that he owed his career to Papa Van Loer, to Papa's connections in the years following upon his term as Governor-General, when he still had a great deal of influence in Holland, and she showed him her housekeeping accounts, in which she had carefully made the different entries, telling him that, if he absolutely insisted upon living on the scale they did, it could not be done for less, with the best will in the world. And, seeing no way out of it, they made friends again, and did not mention the subject of money for another month. And outwardly, it was the regular household of a minister of state, full of solid Dutch comfort, with a tinge of modernity superadded, the children very much up to date, but the parents, nevertheless, sensible people of weight and distinction, quite aware how far they themselves could go, and how far they could let the children go. The real position was not even suspected by a soul. Bertha never spoke to anybody, not even to her mother, of anything that had the faintest connection with money. To their relations and friends, the house in the Bezoudenhout spread its broad fronts with such an air of solid dignity, the staircases, the drawing-rooms and dining-room with their stately handsome furniture, the children's rooms, more modern in style, but still with no flimsy affectation of tawdry elegance, all made so great an impression of imperishable prosperity that no one could ever have suspected that the two parents sometimes sat reckoning up for hours at a time to see whether they could reduce their expenses by as much as a thousand guilders that month. In this house of theirs, notwithstanding all the bustle, the dinners, the approaching wedding, the approaching homecoming of the eldest son, for whom a set of rooms was being prepared on the top floor, everything seemed to go so methodically, without any trouble, busily it is true, but quite harmoniously, that no one would ever have suspected the least difficulty. Mamma Van Loer was constantly at Bertha's during these days, and even neglected Constance a little. But she loved this bustle, the alterations on the top floor, the fuss about the trousseau, the rehearsals of the wedding theatricals, the long tables to be laid, the flowers to be arranged, the visits to be discussed. Dresses brought home, the undergraduates constantly at the Hague, noisy, merry and young. The old woman loved all this. It reminded her of her own house in the old days. It was like a repetition of her young life. Only, she thought, she herself had often worried about money, even though Van Loer had been able to save during his term as Governor-General. And Bertha was so entirely without financial cares... How delightful that was! And she, as the grandmother, also interested herself in Emily's trousseau. She gave her advice and never thought about money. 
she slowly climbed the stairs to the top floor to see the nursery which had been got ready for her two great-grandchildren on the way home from India, proud of that fourth generation, delighting in that large family, that busy household, all that movement which she missed so greatly in her own house, where her quiet life was interrupted only by those family gatherings every Sunday evening. Yes, she loved being with Van Nachel and Bertha, she loved to see her son-in-law take a prominent place in society, as her husband had done in his time. She loved the solid, dignified official house, and the modernity of the children, although now and again she would shake her head in disapproval, made her smile for all that, because she thought that people must go with the times, and that Van Nagel and Bertha were very sensible not to hold the reins too tightly. It was true there were manners which she did not like, that going out of young girls alone, letting themselves in at night with their latch-keys. But then, it was only to a few personal friends, said Bertha, and it was impossible to make other arrangements. Yes, the old woman loved being here, in the house of her eldest daughter, and though she cared for all her children, because they were her children, she felt more in her element at Bertha's, than in the comfortable, middle-class, selfish house of Carol and Cato, whom she blamed for having no children. And though she also liked Gerrit and Adeline's younger household, with the children ranging from eight years down to ten months, a troop of fair-haired mites, things were too simple and everyday for her there, did not remind her of her ancient splendours. She could not stand Gerrit sometimes, when he made fun of his old mother for mentioning, quite casually, that she had met the Russian envoy at Bertha's. And going to Adolphine and Van Satsuma's always vexed her. It was as though she did not recognise her child in Adolphine, with her badly arranged common house, and Adolphine so bitter and so envious and jealous of Bertha, especially now that Florcher was engaged, and her trousseau, of course, could not be as fine as Emily's. Yes, she went to Adolphine's and discussed the trousseau there also, but she did not care about it, not because it was simple, a trousseau could be very nice in spite of that, but because Adolphine was always so spiteful with her perpetual, yes, that's good enough for us, but of course it's Bertha's. She felt herself a mother to all her children. Had she a favourite? She thought not but she was very fond of going to Bertha's, because she found her own past there. And what the old woman loved above all things in Bertha's house was the mutual sympathy, the family affection which she had always fostered in her own house, which she still fostered, thanks to the institution of those Sunday evenings, to keep the children together at all costs. Yes, in Van Nagel and Bertha, that sentiment, that constant thought for the children was very strong, and there was one thing which Mamma van Loa had not done, and which Bertha was doing, which was to receive the son again, after he had once left the house, now that he was returning with a sick wife and two little children. It touched her, oh, how good they were to their tribe, and what a thousand pities that that little dull wife was so ill. And the children, too, had that same family affection among themselves. 
Otto had always kept up a busy correspondence with his eldest sister, Louise, who was twenty-five, and came next to him in age. The two Leiden boys were exceedingly nice to their three fashionable little sisters, and Henry was even a little bit jealous because Emily was engaged. Only Carol was perhaps rather too much out of doors and away from the family circle for so young a boy, with all his clubs and his importance. And because of that, Maricha, the youngest girl of fourteen, was left a good deal alone. And yet they all liked Maricha, her big brothers, the other girls. Yes, that was the charming thing with all those children, the family affection, the fondness for one another, the pride in the names of Van Loa and Van Nagel, the refusal to suffer any outsider to say a word against a member of the family, even though criticism was not spared within the home itself. But that any acquaintance should dare to reflect upon a member of the family, that they would none of them permit. They had felt that fondness, that tenderness, even for Constance, because she was a sister, and the old lady remembered, in so far as concerned Constance, the philosophical reflections of her youngest son, Paul. The trouble which Doreen had taken to assemble all the brothers and sisters on that first Sunday evening, the ready compliance of all her children, for, out of respect to her, none of them had criticised that erring sister in front of her. She saw it in all of them, the family affection for one another. They all felt themselves to be brothers and sisters. They stood up for one another, even though there were differences of opinion sometimes, and even jealousy. They felt united within the family circle. That was the crowning glory of her old age, as a mother and grandmother. It represented to her a beautiful idea, a natural ideal, an illusion attained, a comfort for the peaceful declining years of the lonely woman in her big house. That she preferred to be lonely in her big house and would not have Doreen, nor Ernst, nor Paul to live with her was an eccentricity which in no way detracted from her cult of the beautiful idea, from her perfect happiness at seeing the ideal realised, the illusion attained. She had a happy old age. She had also had much sorrow in her big household, in spite of all her splendour, but not more than her natural share. Money troubles, because neither Van Loer nor she was economical. Two children lost, one after the other, while Constance's false step was certainly a very heavy blow, under which she suspected that Van Loer had really succumbed, suffering silently and incessantly because of the grief which his favourite daughter had caused him. But she, though she too had suffered, had shown greater elasticity, had not counted all that sorrow for more than her human lot, such as might befall any large household. And that she now, in her extreme old age, had all her children gathered about her in the same town, in a close family circle, in an affectionate family life. This she considered a great happiness. She thanked God for it. She had no more religion of the church-going kind than was held to be correct in her circle, which was very different from the orthodox Calvinistic circle of a few old Hague families. But she was grateful to God in her heart. 
She thanked God for her happiness, for her happy old age. All was well now that she had Constance back also, back with the others at the Hague. Next to Boutensoch, the Hague had always been to her the ideal place of residence. The court was there, and her husband had taught her to love splendour. There was an atmosphere of official eminence in their circle, in which she took pleasure as in an element that had become natural to her, and in which Van Nagel and Bertha had also attained their distinction and their high position. Carol had returned to The Hague after burgomastering elsewhere, and in him she had her son back, although in her secret heart she did not like Cato. Gerrit, who had been a subaltern at Deventer and Venlo, was now a captain at The Hague, and the other children had never left The Hague. She had always been able to keep them round her. She was happy, and she was not unthankful. She was even thankful that Otto was returning, although the reason, his wife's illness, was a sad one, because she would see her great-grandchildren. They were her first. She felt a new joy because of them, an unknown emotion. She had felt something like it when Otto himself was born, her first grandchild, but now that feeling was almost more intense, perhaps because it was a fourth generation, a continuation of the family, even though they were Van Nagels and not Van Loers. She was a woman, she did not care so much about the name. Bertha was her daughter, Otto her grandson, his children, her grandchildren. She traced them back in this way to herself, and the sound of the name mattered less to her. They were her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, and she loved them all, with one great love, with a clannish love. That she lived alone in her big house was because she was old, and could bear bustle only when it was expected, when she could prepare for it. The Sunday evenings were bustling, but they did not tire her but to have Paul or Doreen living with her, to be forever hearing them going in and out, would have worked on her nerves. She wandered daily through all the rooms of the big house to see if everything was tidy and in its place. Doreen was slovenly, and Paul was anything but easy to get on with, and Ernst, with his collection of curiosities, she would never be able to have with her because she was afraid of all the microbes that hang about those old things. But nevertheless, she loved them all, and she was glad that they lived at The Hague, and that she saw them regularly. She was like that, and no otherwise. And she now came, every day to Bertha's, waiting for Otto and his children, until Constance grew jealous and reproached her, saying that she never came to her new house near the woods. End of chapter 14